This morning we continue in our series through the book of Acts, considering the early church, the privileges that they enjoyed following resurrection and the responsibilities that came to them. From Acts chapter 9, one of the best known stories in all of the New Testament, the conversion of the Apostle Paul from Saul to Paul, that Damascus Road experience. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? Almost as if he knew to begin with. The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and you will be told what to do there. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is an instrument I have, whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went, and he entered the house. And he laid hands on Saul, and he said to him, Brother Saul, brother, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You have heard the ancient story. Ananias had every reason to fear Saul, whose name means the destroyer. Based on Saul's passionate understanding of Judaism, his understanding, his fear that the disciples of a wayward rabbi were changing the faith he loved, Saul had set out to destroy this dangerous cult whose members were calling themselves followers of the way. Saul's intensity of persecution was ever increasing. He had recently stood by as Stephen became the first Christian martyr. 
It was a gruesome spectacle, hurling stones at someone, breaking bones and shattering teeth and rupturing internal organs until with a thousand injuries and covered in dust and blood, a victim finally succumbed. A theology of religious purity, which says our way is the only way, everybody else is wrong, an outsider, an infidel, a theology which clings defensively to a so-called literal reading of sacred text. Such fundamentalism in any religion will radicalize you. So the book of Acts tells us that Saul approved of Stephen's death. He wasn't just there grimacing. He approved. With this fervent fever of faith, Saul was traveling the ancient world seeking letters lists from synagogues around the Mediterranean of names of these supposedly dangerous heretics. He took delight in jailing them, ostracizing them from family and society, and he was willing to watch them die. Passion often makes you good at what you do, even when what you do is evil. And Saul was good at destroying. Fear preceded him into every town. You can imagine those early disciples spreading the word and scurrying out of sight. Go quickly, Saul is coming. So when Ananias got word from God that he was to go and greet Saul, well, you can understand how Ananias was less than enthusiastic about that invitation. Nadia Boltz Weber, they call her the cussing preacher, She's tattooed from stem to stern. She preached a sermon on this text, and she says, and you have to understand Nadia Boltzweber and who she is to understand why this is funny and yet appropriate, an appropriate contemporary illustration of this text. She says, I imagine Jesus coming to me in a vision and saying, Nadia, Nadia, and I would say, here am I, Lord. And he would say, wake up and go to Highlands Ranch. And there you will find a Donald Trump supporter who helped draft the legislation in North Carolina that makes people go into bathroom situations that are not safe. And they're also proponents of reparative therapy. And they belong to a church that does not recognize the ordination of women. I want you to go. And Nadia said, I would say no. She didn't say it exactly that way in her sermon, but she said no. <laughs> and Jesus would say, get over yourself, Nadia. It's Jesus' favorite thing to say to me. This person has seen a vision that a very large tattooed lady will come and lay hands on them so they can regain their sight. And I would say, I bet that scared the bejesus out of them. <laughs> and Jesus would say, look, I have decided I'm going to use this unlikely person to spread the gospel, but don't worry. It's not like it's going to be very comfortable for them either. And maybe, maybe I would go. I mean, I hope I would go because I want to trust that God really can raise even the dead. So Ananias got up and entered the house. You see, Ananias had drawn a circle, but God gave him the courage to step out of it. And when he called Saul his brother, the scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he was able to see that he too had drawn a circle, and he needed to step out of it. Ananias welcomed Saul. Ananias 
welcomed Saul. It was a daring act. The destroyer became a brother whose name was changed to Paul and who began to welcome Gentiles and slaves and women and who traveled the entire Mediterranean world starting churches and enduring hardship and suffering persecution until he was finally martyred in Rome because he just kept expanding his circle broader and broader. More and more grace, more and more welcome. You have to read Paul carefully, but you can see this in the New Testament. If you read Paul carefully, more and more inclusion, more and more understanding. That's the way the world changes. It's the only way the world changes for the better. Yes, we all draw circles. This in itself is not a bad thing. Life and experience lead us to certain understandings, so we make commitments and we stand by them by circumscribing our lives within a circle of those commitments. But if we are open to the world and to God in it, invariably, because the world just keeps on changing, experience seems to lead us to the edge of those convictions and we gain new understandings. And we make new commitments. And we step out of one circle and into a broader circle. And lo and behold, God's in that circle too. It's how the world advances. It's the only way the world advances. Not by longing for the past. Not by clinging to our small circles. By conserving the values of yesterday. Even the values of today. The world advances only by drawing circles and being willing to, prog prog to progress beyond them. As George Bernard Shaw once said, every great truth begins as blasphemy. From within my comfortable circle, it sounds like heresy. But if we let truth keep pressing and pushing and nudging us, and if we finally have enough courage to step beyond we realize it's not heresy at all. God is in that broader circle. We just couldn't see it until we were willing to see it. Daring welcome. Daring welcome ought to be the byline of the Christian church. It ought to be in our most basic essence, our identity. We are those who welcome. For Christ welcomed us. Just this week, just this week, I was talking to a business owner. She has a young employee who is struggling. He's gay, she said to me. He's struggling because his church, and she didn't even have to finish the sentence. She couldn't finish the sentence. She said, he thinks if he prays enough, he can just change. But this business owner, who is a good bit more conservative than I, said, but Russ, this is who he is. This is who he is. I know it. Am I wrong? You know, the Bible, and she fumbled, and, but this is who he is. Am I wrong to think this? And I said to her, 
the church is killing people. And the church is killing the church because we cannot get to even the most basic sense of welcome. You are welcome as you are. Gay, straight, gender queer, non-binary, black, white, Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, all are welcome in the body of Christ. All ought to be welcome here. Before we renovated our sanctuary, our deacons entertained a conversation one night with a speaker from Time Out Youth, an organization that supports transgender teenagers in Charlotte. It was a circle-expanding conversation for our leaders. In the Q&A time that followed, Amy asked Parker, the speaker, who says they identify as somewhere over there in that big nebulous ball of gender fluidity, Amy asked Parker where they would go to the restroom in our building, and Parker said, I probably just wouldn't go. And from that moment, Amy was on a quest. Any more bathrooms on our campus will be safe and open for everyone. And when our sanctuary was completed, Amy searched across the whole city. She had to go across Charlotte to find gender-neutral bathroom signs for our restrooms right out here. Now, when we got the inspection, we had to install the women's restroom sign and the men's restroom sign to pass inspection because the North Carolina building codes have not yet enlarged their circles of respect and inclusion. But as soon as the inspector left the building, Amy replaced the signs. All are welcome here. Well, that's what the signs say. The bigger question is, what do we say? With our words, what do we say? With our actions, what do we say? With the unspoken glance, what do we say? Are we, like Ananias, willing to take a chance to listen to the voice of God, to risk a daring welcome? Today, you may need to expand your circle. If you hate Democrats, you need to expand your circle. Same thing's true on the other side of the aisle. If you don't have any black friends close enough to invite into your home, you need to expand your circle. If you don't get the pronoun thing, you need to have a conversation. Do some reading. Expand your circle. Now, the interesting thing about circles is that we all have our own biases, our own blind spots, right? I can be so open and so sophisticated, you know, in one area and not know that I'm so closed in another. Are you open to finding the blind spots? There are forces working across our nation and around the world today, moving in the opposite direction that I'm preaching, loudly and angrily demanding that we narrow our acceptance, not broaden it. The banning of math textbooks is just a symptom of a disease that has no future. We don't need to open our southern border, don't hear me wrong. We don't need to open our southern border, we just need to open our hearts especially people of faith, just our hearts, so compassion will drive our politics, not fear. Ever-expanding, ever-expanding understandings and views and compassion and grace. As I was thinking about concentric circles for this sermon, 
I called my old college classmate, the math professor, and I asked Tom Pulaski how a mathematician thinks about concentric circles. And he started talking about the Pythagorean theorem and 3D spheres and a lot of geometry that's in a circle into which I will never step. <laughs> but one thing Tom said makes sense to me. He said sometimes he asked his calculus classes, how much effort does it take to expand the circle? Imagine, he said, imagine a rope lying on the ground, a rope stretching snugly around the equator of the earth. Now imagine, Tom said, that there are enough people standing along that rope that they could lift up that rope to 10 feet, hypothetically. They could all lift the rope 10 feet above the surface of the ground. How much extra rope would you need to do that? The circumference of the equator is 24,901 miles. To expand that rope 10 feet, how much rope would you need? An extra 10 miles? 24,000, almost 25,000 miles around the globe. An extra 10 miles of rope, an extra 5 miles of rope, an extra mile of rope, an extra 1,000 feet of rope? As it turns out, Tom says, you need 62.8 feet of rope to make that happen. 62 feet is all. It takes. So the point is this. Expanding our circles does not need to be that difficult. Jesus says just the faith of a mustard seed, the tiniest amount of grace, goes a very long way. It takes courage in our culture, but just a touch of grace. Whom might you include in your circle today with just a little more effort, just a little less judgment and a little more compassion, just a little less certainty and a little more grace. Thomas Merton, the Christian mystic and spiritual thinker, says that God is mercy within mercy within mercy, an eternity of never-ending grace. We can never expand ourselves beyond God's mercy. Paradoxically, as we step out, we only get closer to the center of it. Today, may God give us the faith and the courage of Ananias that we might be people of daring welcome. May it be so.